1: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. So happy to have you tuning in today. And a big thank you to everyone who is downloading and subscribing to the podcast. I really appreciate it. Please be sure to tell your friends and your family about it. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, as well as some really amazing ones that we've done so far this year. And today's episode is no exception. So, this is the last episode from the Combined Sections Meeting, which took ba- took place way back in February, it seems like forever ago. And in this podcast, it is CSM After Dark. This was organized by Sean Hagee, and it has a bunch of great physical therapists. We've got a patient as well, all talking their way through this podcast in sort of short little talks, kind of like TED-style talks. So who's on it? Who's, who's here? Who's speaking? Well, I myself am speaking. I was honored to be asked. Uh, Todd Davenport, Mike Eisenhart, Dee Cornetti, who, by the way, kills it, and I had to go on after her. I said it was like, you know, having to go on after Beyonce because she was just so amazing. Uh, Jerry Durham, Rachel German, and Lisa Maxura. So Lisa is a... She was a speaker last year at CSM. She's not a physical therapist. She is a lifelong physical therapy patient. So it was great to hear from her. So in this episode, what what does everybody talk about? Talk about the importance of engaging patients at national conferences, why students should seek out more networking opportunities, humanizing patients to move the profession forward, the importance of building self-efficacy, the need for stronger advocacy, validating patients' pain experiences, engaging in professional dialogue and debate, and so much more. So this was, uh, like I said, done live at CSM in front of an audience, so there, are, you'll hear some clapping and whatnot in the background. Um, big thanks to Sean for organizing uh, this After Dark experience, and hopefully it's something that can become a staple at CSM. And it's a great way to learn from different people in really short, quick talks. So everyone enjoy today's podcast. And we I look forward to this Thursday, the, a recap of the San Diego Pain Summit with uh, co-host Sandy Hilton. So that was a lot of fun. So be on the lookout for that this Thursday at six. And in the meantime, enjoy today's episode.
2: Thanks for coming to something we kind of uh, threw around this last fall as as some ideas. um, Bounced the idea off a few people, Um, my uh, sisters and brothers in the home health section. uh, (laughs) Um, Allowed us to get this. Allowed us to get this room. So we've got we've got six people that are going to share. Uh, more of that um, kind of shortened story format. I wanted this to be something different. We obviously have conferences going on where there's academics and research and all that stuff is fantastic. If we want to improve the profession, we really need to work on that. But if we also want to improve the profession, um, it's also important to share some of those stories that we have. We all have personal stories. Karen's going to share a personal story. Um, things that we're interested in. And th- this event is mostly about kind of thinking big picture, like what do we want the, the future of the profession to be? Um, what are some of the dreams we have? How can we reach people that, um, that haven't even heard of physical therapy, for instance? So, so some of that's kind of part of what, what started all of this. And uh, Lisa's going to kick us off tonight.
3: My name is Lisa Mac I'm otherwise known on Twitter as Lisa Mac and Cheese. I was a uh, requested speaker at Anaheim CSM through the kind offices of the women's health section because they're badass and they know what they're doing. And part of what I want to talk to you about today is why I'm here this year when I was not invited. And it's not for any lack of love for any, any of you here, okay? This is important to me, I spend time and money on the things that I think are important. This is my dime, no one is sponsoring me. And if you think the Hyatt is cheap, even after the AAA discount, I've got another thing to tell you, okay? <laughs> um, one thing that's become very important to me and very uh, glaringly apparent, at least in my view, is, is that patients need to become an active part of every national conference every time. It needs to be built into the structure of the conference, okay? And I'm gonna be talking about some of the practical considerations for that. First thing everybody thinks about is money, okay? Okay? I can solve that problem for you really simply. I don't know if ever, ever, if ever any of you have gotten an electric bill and they have that little box for you to tick off, okay, if you ever do a hard copy, but they, you know, that sort of thing, where it says, would you like to donate one dollar to helping people pay their electric bill when they can't afford their electric bill and you know on a good day you might check it off and say dollar simple easy no problem okay what I'm suggesting is that that needs to be done as part of a patient engagement fund as a rolling fund for every time that we have patients at a conference and it needs to happen every time because personally I get emotionally involved when people start talking about, especially on Twitter, because I'm a Twitter geek, when they say, oh, patient engagement is so important, we really need to have the patients involved. Well, if we're not in the room, we're not important. Okay, so you guys can talk about all you want to talk about, but if all it is is talk and you can't consistently every time say, we want you in the room because your input is valuable. Not because it, just because it's a nice thing to say, but because we need your input in order to be better professionals, okay? That needs to happen. And so what I'm suggesting is after that fund gets set up is that those um, patient panels or patient discussion groups or whatever um, be rotated between maybe a couple of sections each year so that every year a couple of sections get to shine on the, spe- the specific issues that they think are important and so that everybody feels like their issues are being um, attended to. It's cheap, it's simple, it's great PR and you get instant feedback. Okay. The other thing and I wanted to address this specifically with regards to the students is that I've been told by um, young PTs that one of the best things before they started their clinicals, one of the most exciting things for them to do was to have a case study and to sit around and pull it apart and go, how can we address this for the betterment of the patient's outcome, okay? Well, this is the live version of that, Mm -hmm. okay? There's no HIPAA issue here. If, for instance, I was the patient that was being, Invited to present, which I have been. Um, I've got no HIPAA concerns. I've got no. Uh, I've got no relationship with the audience at large, with s- save my one PT, who I will never leave. Um, about, you know, privacy. About, well, I don't want to offend them. If I ask this question, are they going to take it the wrong way? Are they going to go to the clinic down the street? That kind of thing. We need to create a safe zone, not just for the PTs, but for the patients, to tell their stories, to feel validated. Okay? This needs to happen, and I'm not asking for a vote on it. I'm telling you, it needs to happen so that you can be better PTs and so that we can be more fully engaged patients. And if it doesn't happen, then you have to ask yourself the question of, how serious are we about this patient engagement issue? Because if it's all talk, okay, it doesn't amount to anything. And deep down, you guys know that. And deep down, we know that. And that's why we're not coming together. And that's all I really have to say. So thanks for your that's time. That's pretty good. <laughs>
0: All right. Hi, guys. So my name's Rachel German. I am a third-year student at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I am the executive producer of P.T. Pencast. And Sean reached out to me like two weeks ago and was like, I heard you're a rebel. Do you want to come speak at this? And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm a rebel. I think I'm just really persistent. So, and this was before the Elizabeth Warren thing. So I, I was really separate. <laughs> um, and he said, I said, oh, well, what do you want me to talk about? And he's like, "We well, you could talk about student debt. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm, I have student debt, and it sucks. And that would be the end of that conversation, because I am yeah. no way qualified to speak yeah, on yeah. student debt. <laughs> um, and then he said, you could talk about, you know, maybe the future of DPT education. going to draw a huge blank on that one, too. So I thought about, all right, so I guess I'm seen as a leader. And kind of makes me uncomfortable, because... Yeah. It's like if I'm talking and it's kind of like the if, if the tree falls in the woods and no one's around to hear it, did it really make a noise? If no one's paying attention to me, I can say whatever the hell I want. <laughs> Nobody cares. So when people pay attention, that's kind of disconcerting. Um, and I think learning to be comfortable with that is really where I've kind of grown uh, in PT school. Because in PT school, they want you to be comfortable being uncomfortable. They want you to be okay with walking into your patient's room and <laughs> not knowing what's happening with them at all. You're just like, shit. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we take these, these comps in, in UW-Milwaukee. Uh, we call them our do-or-die exams. Like, you don't pass, you drop out of the program, and you're destitute forever. So they're really stressful. So my first one, I go in with a list. I'm going to do all these things. I have it numbered, which it was fine. My list was fine. It got me through. It really saved my ass when I forgot how to go knee knee extension. OK <laughs> <So> then, <laughs> And then my second exam, I'm like, OK, I have, now I have a flow sheet, right? So now I can map out my ideas. I'm like, this is cool. And my third exam, I went in, and I had a blank sheet of paper. My last exam I went in, I drank like six cups of coffee, and that really inspired me to be very efficient with my exam. (laughs) Because I really, really had to go to the bathroom so badly by the end. (laughs) So, I think that the failing that we see right now in education is you teach your, your students to treat patients. You may not teach them to interact in their profession. So my first conference I went to, it was like I had my list. I went to all my sessions. I showed up and I learned things and like my second or third conference in I was like well maybe if I don't go to the sessions but I do talk to these other people when I'm not going to the sessions I learn more lessons and then this conference I don't actually think I've signed up for sessions so <laughs> that's where we are today and I think that that needs to be more students need to see that more because it's really hard to get students to come to conferences. They're expensive, I know, they're awful, but they don't have to come to national conferences, they can come to like state conferences. Um, but learning how to engage students on that level, learning to meet cool people who have done other things, not just go to sessions. It's learning how to get away from the list, but in a different aspect, not just patient care. So that is kind of what I've learned over the past three years. And that's probably all I'm qualified to say. So, thanks for having me,
3: guys.
4: (laughs) And we're live. All right, so um, I think I've probably pissed off everyone in this room at one point or another. (laughs) Thank you. And I don't regret a thing. And I'll do it again tonight. Um, Lisa Mac and Cheese put it best when she tweeted out randomly, I reject your premise. And I kind of felt like she was tweeting that at me because I kind of felt like that belonged in my bio. Uh, so when when Sean uh, asked me to speak tonight, he, he had sort of asked me to bring the energy and kind of kind of the the angry old man and that 's that 's surprisingly not kind of who I am so I, I, I want to start off by after having acknowledged pissing you all off by thanking you for the opportunity to piss you off uh, and, because I think through those conversations i've learned a lot and i 've had a chance to engage with people I never would have had a chance to meet in real life, uh, especially in Conferences like this, and so I, I give a lot of credit to those of you guys who have not run me out of this room yet. Uh, even finding out what my handle is, which by the way is probably the best and the worst handle because it's so long uh, on Twitter. So, what what I'd like to talk tonight about is um, kind of going back to this issue of seeing our patients and clients as people. So I'm I'm sort of complicit in asking my students to view their people, that they that, that, you know, that seek their care, to see them through the lens of an impairment, or see them through a lens of a disability, uh, with the idea that I want them to sort of identify root causes and treat them, and I want them to use the scientific evidence. Um, I think, though, that that has gotten us afield from where we can be the most impactful, our best selves as physical therapists. I think that if we see people as people, uh, I will drop my manual therapy orthopedic inclination and I will help someone who doesn't have that sort of set of, uh, sort of that, that does not conform to that practice pattern. I might also wonder, huh, whiplash from a rear end accident, where was that accident? And then over time, I might think, huh, there's about four or five people who've gotten in a rear-end accident at that same four-way stop. And I might think, huh, those four or five people, they're colorblind, and they can't see the red stop sign against the green trees. And I might actually call the city as a physical therapist to prune the trees so that we reduce the fact that someone's going to get into an accident and might actually seek my care. So it's this entire concept that sent me back to school, Uh, For a second career uh, as a public health practitioner and uh, interest in epidemiology. And I think that if we're able to see our patients and clients not as those roles, but as people, that's the next step forward. That's how our profession steps over its own shadow, identifies where people are being treated uh, that don't maybe need to be treated if we can prevent it and can find revenue streams that can then push you know our profession forward uh, and identify new business models. So when I rag on the cash folks hashtag (laughs) (laughs) it's because I think we can do better. I think we can do better than continuing to see our patients as patients and our clients as clients because if we see our the people who receive our care seek our care as people. Our profession moves forward. Thanks. GrungePT, I'm wearing Doc Martens. Hi everybody. Hi Mike. Hi Mike. Hi Was hoping
5: it would be like a little more sing-song. Hi Mike. Could we try Mike. that? That's yeah, nice. I like that. I like it. it's got a good. It's got a good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. So. Uh, you can do it. So,
6: cheers!
5: <laughs> cheers to that. I I uh I, I guess I would um would start with a, a hypothetical, which is maybe not so hypothetical. So, person walks into our clinic uh, and sits down, and uh, she's a nice enough lady. She uh, saw so a whole whole history of pain. Um, has seen multiple doctors, had all sorts of scans, and uh, and, and sits down uh, with me for for what I would call a movement and fitness evaluation, or or really what some of us would call just a lifestyle, you know, look like uh, whatever we want to call it. I don't call it a physical therapy evaluation, although there are physical therapists who uh, often perform a part of it. And we get to talking about her pain, and, uh, and and you know, and, and and usually these evaluations would start with me just sitting there and saying, hey, like start from the beginning like yep, tell me your story what's going on you know i know nothing about you you know your doctor just sent you over for movement and fitness eval let's start from there and we get into it a little bit and uh, and it turns out that she's got this long history of pain and, and we might call it you know sort of like the classic you know central sensitization kind of presentation i said i'm going to ask you a tough question and i hope you're okay with me asking this and and if you're not you can tell me no uh, it's fine you know we can move on i said you know when someone is talking to me like you're talking to me um, usually there's some fear involved. you know, she, She's got something you know, going on there that's, that's scaring you, something about your pain. So tell me about that. Are you willing to tell me about that? And she went a little further and talked to me a little bit about it and said, I called my doctor a week ago, and I was suicidal, and, uh, and I, I, I really thought I was going to take my own life. And, uh, and he told me to get on my treadmill and run as hard as I could for 10 minutes really you know because of course all the bells and whistles are going off in my head like we should be dialing you know like 911 we should be really talking getting folks in front of the right people but we're in a a room together I said so so how did it go and she said I got to be honest with you I felt euphoric all day long it was the first time I felt joy and I don't even know how long and I cried for an hour on my way to work and I have not felt this good in probably 20 years and I have been battling all sorts of uh, related issues. And I said, well, let's explore that a little bit, talk to me a little bit about that, And, and what do you think that was? And she said, I think it was because it was the first time that someone told me I could own this and control it, and I tried something and I did. And it worked, and it worked for me in that moment. And I don't know why it worked, I don't really care, but I felt like I had some control over this for a few minutes. I said, so how's it going? And she said, well, I've been doing this now for um, you know three four weeks, and, and my doc suggests that I' come to you and, and now let's start getting some kind of a real hardcore plan going let's get me feeling good. So That's pretty awesome. So the reason why I tell that story is because um, I think we have the power to change lives. I mean, I think at the end of the day that's that's what we do. I think that you know uh, I mean we're not willing to talk about it that freely and that openly, but I, I really think that that's exactly what we do. We, have the ability to change the trajectory of someone's life. Um, and I certainly don't think that I did that day. I think that that woman taking the chance and, and doing something uh, got her going in a direction that she hadn't been going in in a long time. And it's been several weeks and maybe even months since we've you know, kind of had that conversation, and, and she's doing really, really well. And she's taken control of some things that, you know, from a health perspective, that she probably hasn't had control of in a long time. And I came together with her physician, and, and we work very closely together and have tight communication. And at, at the end of the day, um, it's not just her life we're changing, right? Uh, she has two kids. And when she got into the, hey, what am I afraid of, what she said to me, and you know, as a sappy dad, um, she said to me, I'm afraid I'm not going to be there for my daughter. I'm not going to be able to be there when she learns how to ride a bike. I'm not going to be able to be there in the moments when you know, she, she needs a mom there, like, because I'm so debilitated, I'm so in, you know, you know, in pain. And so I I stop there and I say to myself, like, all right, well, how are we going to do it? Because we say we want to transform society, um, you know, as an association. And I sit back here and I say, I don't think we're going to. I don't think we can. Because I think we're trying to do it in a way that, you know, we're tackling one achy knee or one banged up shoulder or one, you know, achy toe at a time or whatever it is, instead of saying, how are we going to actually do it? I don't know the answer, um, but I feel like totally comfortable in this room posing the question, because here you are at ten o'clock at night, or you know eleven by some of our time, and you're sitting here having this conversation. So something drew you here. I mean, I know you know I mean, he's a pretty good draw, right? I mean, and it's a, and, and 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 it's a good looking shirt, um, but you're here because something called you to be here. I think, right? Like somehow deep inside, you're saying to yourself, like, we can be more. We can do more. Um, And I think we can. And so I hope that, you know, like if anything, I guess, um, you know, when someone tells me that like physical activity and moving well changed the trajectory of her life and she felt an instantaneous change, it's humbling. It's the power of our intervention. And any one of us can wield that power. And I guess I, you know, I mean, I take the opportunity to say like, when, when do we start? When do we really come together with that? When we start saying, hey, we, we don't sell PT services, we don't have to worry about our brand statement selling PT services, what we do is solve problems. You know? and, and the problem happens to be that we have a sicker, less healthy uh, you know, society than, than anyone has ever seen, and we can help solve that problem. And so you know, I mean, some we could say, well, how many people are from this section or that section or the other section or whatever? How many people are from no section at all? Mm-hmm. But if we would just be willing to come together around the table and say, let's solve that problem, I think we can do it.
1: Thanks.
7: Hi, my name is Dee Cornetti. And I'm a home care physical therapist. I feel like I'm in a support group. (laughs) And you know, I feel that way a lot as a practitioner. like Because home care is the redheaded stepchild of, of care. You know, aren't we the place that therapists go to die? Right? Isn't that what everybody says? And I'm gonna tell you something else. I'm gonna tell you something else. That is not true. That is not true. We are the place that see patients where they live. We are the people that walk in when there's nothing in the refrigerator. We are the people that understand everything else. Sure, what get, might get me in the door is a referral after a total joint. But what I, like Mike said, have to focus on is what is the bigger picture? So we should be case managers. We should be leaders. We should be influencing health and wellness for an aging population. That's what we need to be doing. But I think we do get stuck in this inability to define our own values. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the future of home care. It is not where we are now, but it is the frontier. See, because that's where people want to function. That's where they want to live. That's where their quality of life is. And I'm not going to slam on any other bricks and mortar situation. But let's be honest. They're going to tell you anything that you want to hear in an impatient setting to get the hell out of there. (laughs) But when I get home, I got to compete with the grandbabies and Wheel of Fortune. Right? And I got to...
3: Prices?
7: prices, prices Never never go at 11 o'clock Eastern Time because Drew Carey wins. And then I look at how how we document our value. And, you know, I have never, ever heard a patient say, my life would be complete if I could walk 250 feet with a rolling walker with contact guard assist. And all always to the mailbox, never back. So if you go outside, you're driving home from the airport, and you see an older person just hanging around the mailbox, they probably had a home care visit. Because we get them there, and we don't bring them back. But if you want to do some ADLs and it's cold, just put a sweater on them, right? Or have them do it. So here's my thing. We have not taken ownership in this. We are not re-hospitalization reducers. We are not evidence-driven, outcome-defining clinicians. We are not. And why not? Who can do it better? Why are we counting minutes and codes and visits? Our value goes beyond that. And all you have to do is go in a house. Just go in a house and you'll find it out. Thanks, that's it.
1: Yes, oh, okay. So I'm Karen Litzy and I am actually a home care physical therapist. A little different population than traditional home care, but that is what I do, and I agree with everything Dee said. And um, But what, what I wanted to talk about today is, so show of hands for all the therapists here, if this patient sounds familiar to you. So the... Patient comes into your clinic or you go to their home and they're kind of walking in like the tin man, you know? They can't move. They, they're they in pain. They've had pain for maybe five or six years. They sometimes can't go to work. They're depressed. They're sad. They have kind of withdrawn from their friends and their social circle. They... um aren't doing the things that they really love to do and they're coming to you after they've been to a doctor, a doctor, a doctor, a PT, an acupuncturist, not a chiropractor, um, but a whole bunch of other practitioners. And they come into you and they're super sensitive, like Mike said, central sensitization out, out the roof. They don't want you to touch them. They are upset, they're emotional. So how many people have had those patients? Pretty much everyone in the room, right? So what would you say if I said that patient was me? So that was me probably five years ago. And as a therapist, having to go through that, talk about giving you empathy for your patients. And the thing that helped me the most was not having, well, I couldn't have anyone touch me. I mean, I still have problems with that, but at least now I can actually get a pedicure without feeling like I'm going to like have an emotional breakdown, which is good. Um, And I can have, get a facial without having, I just can't have anyone touch my neck, but you know, otherwise I'm much, much better. And that took five years for that to happen. So I think being a therapist and going through that for probably eight years or so, gives you a different perspective on your patients and what they need. And after spending time with Peter O'Sullivan over the last couple of days and really delving into the the pain science literature, one thing that all of our patients need, and I think Mike put it beautifully a few minutes ago, is they need someone to listen to them and to ask them the right questions and to be able to reflect what they're saying and to be able to summarize. And it's something that we're not taught in school. It's it's a skill. It can be learned. And it's something that every therapist should be doing for the betterment of their patients. And to be able to reassure, to be able to validate something what Lisa said before is the one thing that I really needed was someone to just validate your You have your pain is real. I understand. Now, what can we do about it? And the person that changed my life was David Butler, and he became a great mentor to me. But what he did was he sat down with me for two hours and talked to me and got me to really delve into myself, kind of what... I had the same experience Dee had a couple of days ago, and it's hard, and it's emotional, and as therapists, we have to be able to accept that our patients may be emotional in front of us and, and say to them, wow, it sounds like this is really hard for you. Can you tell me a little bit more, you know? And that listening and that empathy and reflective questioning and summarizing for your patient can do more than any, I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, manual technique that you can do for your patient, especially for people like me, where it was just so hard to even go to work, and so hard, I couldn't have someone touch me. That manual work was out of the question. Um, so all I have to say to all the therapists in the room is to listen and be kind and validate your patient, and to all the patients in the room, is to be open and be honest and be able to feel comfortable with that patient, or sorry, with your therapist. And if you're not comfortable with the therapist, then leave and go somewhere else. And that's okay. And if you're the therapist not comfortable with that patient, refer them to someone else. Because it's, it's hard enough to live your life with pain every day. The last thing you need is someone who's not the right fit for you. Um, and also know that there's going to be times where you're going to have flare-ups, and as the, the PT, the best thing you can tell your patient, and this is from, I guess, my own personal experience, that yes, I may have a flare-up once or twice a year, and instead of what I used to do was freak out and reach for a pill or lay in bed or go see a doctor to have, and I'm not even going to go into with some of the stuff I did, but now that, in- now that I have a flare-up, instead of freaking out, what I do now is I work out. And it's kind of like what Mike said. And it has been, you know, a life-changing thing for me. And so as therapists, if we can encourage our patients to just move, it doesn't have to be a specific movement, it doesn't have to be from a specific joint. But listen get people moving and for the patients don't freak out work out so that's that's it (laughs) all
6: right so it's cool i've run through my head about three or four different things and yes my name is jerry durham and yes todd davenport has pissed me off on twitter
0: and I'll tell you what,
6: and I'll tell you what, here's the beauty, I never blocked him, I never blocked him, I never unfollowed him, right? Yeah, so I'm going, I, I gotta start with this. This is what's important to me in seeing the, can you please tell me the gentleman's name who, who uh, manned the poster today? Justin Skull. Thank you. So um, Todd actually worked on a project with a student from, a student, correct? From, from Pacific, where Todd teaches about Hashtags and social media. It was interesting because there are only two, two posters in the, all of CSM that dealt with social media. So I wanted to give him a kudos for that. But part of, part of what's going to make us better and achieve everything that we want to achieve is to open up these conversations and not. I've, I've physically been standing with people when they block someone in our own profession on Twitter or somewhere else like that, and it serves no purpose in my opinion, because you're saying, I disagree with you, you're wrong, I'm right, we're done. And I seriously, I have, um, I have referenced Todd on more than one occasion, in a good way. I'm going on record, it's being recorded. Yes, yes, yeah, that is correct. At some point it will, okay. And, um, but it was because of Todd's and his questioning of what I believe that he caused me, because I didn't block him, I didn't unfollow him, He caused me to dig deeper into what I believed and figure: is there a better way to discuss this, or could I possibly be wrong? Oh,
7: it's
6: being recorded. So right. So so, and it's been beautiful. Because Todd and I still engage regularly. He's disappeared for a little bit. If nobody's noticed, I've noticed he disappeared a little bit for the last three weeks or so. But I'm not paying attention to you, Todd. I don't want to obsess about it. And um, and so it's been it's been cool because I actually so think about this for a second, and I don't know how to describe it. Twitter has actually made me into someone who can have a better discussion with someone I disagree with. Not all the time, you know, there's a couple boys right here in the front row. Right. So but I don't unfollow anybody, I don't block anybody because over time I've learned more. And I, I believe that I can now do better for the, for the greater good because of, because of what has occurred on Twitter. And so, um, you know, which is ultimately about our patience. And uh, so I think I'll, I'll leave it at that. And just, just think about what you can gain from a conversation with someone you disagree with. Pretty simple as
2: that. So thank you. <laughs> I think that's a perfect segue point, because um, I wanted to just kind of close this whole get PT first thing was just this kind of random idea. I had been doing some marketing <coughs> consulting on the side with private practices, and get PT first is just what local clinics do to to reach their local populations. It's just a kind of a national movement. Um, one of the one of the parts. Uh, to get a little personal with it, is I'm a lifelong depressive. Um, It's a longer story than that, but uh, it's been a really rough life. And what I realized was I had never really tried anything that might fail, just out of sheer fear. And the ironic thing is I've noticed that while that might be a huge hang-up for me personally, I think it's a huge hang-up for our profession as well. We're incredibly afraid to try things, so we sit on the sidelines and we attack each other and other ideas um, because that's the easy thing to do. It's the, it's the easy way out. It's much easier to burn the, burn the damn bridge down than to build one. <laughs> so, so we've all sat on the sidelines. I've done it too. It's easy to, it's easy to sit back. And, and throw some stones a little bit. What Get PT First was about was, for me, trying to do something really big to help the profession. Um, there's nothing in it for me. I've had so many people ask me, like, what's your long-term strategy for this? I don't know. I just kind of make it up as I go along. It's, it's never been about um, building anything to put my name on or anything like that. And I think that's something that maybe we can start to do as a profession because we're really good at promoting our own crap, our own blogs, our podcasts, no offense. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, our own research, all those things, they're, they're super, super good. But if we can just take a second of every day and do something good for the profession and not just for ourselves, we can have a fantastic profession. If we can just take one second of the day instead of thinking about what can I do do to build my status or my Twitter following or make myself look better and get recognition and we can make somebody else's lives better. And that really ties into what we do as professionals, um, selflessly giving. Um, So that's my challenge to you guys. Whether or not you uh, get involved with Get PT First or disagree with some of the methods, do something good. Be part of something bigger than yourself. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done, and uh, I'd encourage you to do the same. Thanks. Thanks, everyone, for coming.
0: Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.